Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9. And as you're finding that, let me ask you, what changes do you want to make this year? Right, the beginning of a year is a time when we often think about such things. So what changes do you want to make? How do you want to grow this year? Well, the title of the sermon today is Joy and Faith in the New Year. Joy and faith in the new year. As I thought about my own life, and I look back over the last year or the last couple of years, I'm, I'm convicted that I, um, this is an area I really need to grow in. I'm, I'm too easily uh, anxious. I'm too easily discouraged. I'm too easily wearied. Right? And obviously, you know, we, we understand that. We live in a fallen world and, and there is a daily struggle. But yet, I know that um, staying there and, and being anxious and discouraged and worried too much does not bring glory to God. I want to display more of the fruit of joy and faith or you could say the fruit of joy and peace. Those are fruits of the Spirit. And we know that increasing joy and faith will not only result in a better life for us, but even more importantly, increase, increase joy and faith in, in Christ will bring glory to God. And again, that's what's so convicting is if, if, if I'm walking around like an Eeyore, right, you know, with a rain cloud... <laughs> That doesn't bring glory to God. We, we, we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. And so, um, that's something that I am asking the Lord to help me grow in. Living with joy and faith that is rooted in Christ. Living with joy and faith that's not dependent on circumstances is a powerful way to be a light in this dark world. What an opportunity. We will stand out. Like Philippians says, we will be like stars shining in, in the night if we can live with joy and peace. Others will see that because they don't have that. And that will give us opportunity to testify to Christ and bring glory to him. So growing in faith and joy will truly be for our good and for God's glory. And so as, as I studied Psalm 9 this week, I see David um, demonstrating joy and faith and even joy and peace, even though he's in the midst of a battle. Verse 13 of Psalm 9 says, There are enemies who hate David, enemies who want to kill him. He's, he literally finds himself at death's door in different circumstances. And yet in the midst of those real dangers, David still expresses joy and faith. And so think with me, how is David able to do that? I mean, does he just have a death wish or something, right? How is he able to exhibit joy and faith even in the midst of very difficult afflictions? 
Well, this morning from David's example in Psalm 9, I want to highlight two things that David does which helps him have joy and faith in the face of difficulties, in the face of dangers. Now, these two actions that I have observed and and I want to share with you, these are not novel, right? (laughs) They're taught throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, they're fundamental practices for anyone in a relationship with God. But yet, I think we need to be reminded of them. And they are practices, by the way. These are not meant to be something that we do just once in a blue moon, right? But these are to be regular daily habits of our lives. And so these two practices I want to share will will flow right out of the two parts of this psalm. This psalm can be divided into two parts. Verses 1 through 12 is part 1, and then 13 to the end is part 2. And so I want to look at each of those chunks and and just... Uh, observe the practice that David does that, by God's grace, we should um, follow in his example. And as often happens, I'm going to spend a lot more time on the first one than the second, okay? So I just wanted you to be aware of that so you're not nervous. So if you're taking notes, I'll just go ahead and give you the first practice. And notice these are, I challenge you and urge you as I challenge myself to Ask God for grace to do these daily, to do these regularly. And that, that is number one, praise the Lord for who he is and what he has done. Praise the Lord for who he is and what he has done. That's what we see David doing in verses 1 through 12. He's praising God for his past deliverances. Verses 1 and 2 really set the tone for this section. So I'm going to, again, kind of go through those maybe a little slower. Look at verse 1. David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And what struck me, one of the things that struck me about those verses is just how intentional David is, right? He is determined. He's saying, I will do this, right? I will give thanks to the Lord. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad. I will sing praises. He is exercising his will. He's choosing to do these things. Even though we're going to see he's still facing difficult circumstances, he's choosing to praise the Lord. He's choosing to give thanks to the Lord because that is the right thing to do. And it just reminds me, and I'll probably say this a few times today, but I mean, we are responsible for how we think, right? The Christian life, a fundamental piece of the Christian life is is what we choose to think about, right? Look at Philippians 4. And so David is saying, I will think about God. I will think about who he is. I will remember what he has done for me, and, and I will, that will... Uh, result in praise and thanksgiving and faith and joy. So under this broad heading of praising the Lord, we can notice three components here that David does in these verses. First, he thanks God for specific blessings. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Again, I love that, right? David's not just going through the motions. It's not like, (laughs) and I know we have to do this to train our kids, so I'm I'm not knocking it. Keep doing it, right? But it's not like the little kid where the, the, the mom says, you know, what do you say? You know, thank you, right? You know, and, and again, that's how we teach them. But I mean, that's not David here, right? No one's making him say this. He is saying, I thank the Lord with my whole heart. 
David means what he says. He is sincere with all his heart. He's wanting to thank the Lord. And notice this is not just staying at the general fuzzy level, right, of thanksgiving. He's going to get specific. He says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. David's going to rehearse what God has done for him. He's remembering answered prayers. He's recalling times of God's provision. He's listing the many blessings that God has lavished on him. And David's going to thank God for his blessings in verse 1. And then in verse 2, he says, I will be glad and exult in you. So David's not only thankful for what God has done, he's also rejoicing in who God is. He's exulting in the attributes of God. And again, a parallel passage to all of this is Philippians 4. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So as Christians, we are to rejoice in the character of God. You know, we, we should just be regularly rehearsing his attributes in our, in our times with him, in our personal times of worship. Father, you are so loving. Your steadfast love endures forever. Father, you are good. All that you do is right. You have been so good to me. Father, you are faithful. You have blessed me with such precious promises in Christ And I know you will keep them. Father, you are powerful. No one can thwart your plans. You're working all things together for my good and your glory. I mean, we could just go through attribute after attribute, right? His omniscience, his omnipresence. How he's rich in mercy. How he's slow to anger. How he's just. How he's true. Recounting God's blessings and thinking about God's attributes, then for David, it it leads him to naturally sing praises to God, right? He says, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I mean, that's a natural progression, isn't it? Meditating on on who God is and, and remembering and recounting what God has done, it just so fills up David's heart that it naturally is going to overflow with praise to God. This is not some manufactured emotional high And this is not just mere positive thinking that the world would would espouse. No, this is deep down abiding joy. This is sincere worship that comes from truth. The truth of who God is and what he's done. And so our joy and our faith and peace and our thanksgiving and, and praise comes from us meditating on the truths of the gospel. This is understanding who God is, under, thinking about and, and, and reveling in the fact that God in his grace has committed himself to us in an everlasting covenant. David thought about that a lot, right? Notice he's using the covenant name of the Lord here. The Lord, Yahweh, he has entered into this covenant with me. Who am I? Right, as we heard in our scripture reading, who am I? Who's my, what's my house that you would choose to bless this, that you would choose to lavish these promises on me? We all could say that, couldn't we, as followers of Christ? Who are we? Why, why, are, why uh, are we a guest at this table as we sing in that hymn? When so many in this world choose, would rather starve than come. It's because of your grace, God. It's because of your mercy. 
no matter what our circumstances are, there is always reason for Christians to give thanks and praise the Lord. And so David exhorts himself, right? You know, we see that at times in scripture, right? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in, in God. I will yet praise his name. That's kind of what he's doing here, right? He's exhorting himself to praise the Lord in order to grow in his trust in the Lord moving forward. And so again, I'm not talking about a Pollyanna, uh, just where, you know, you're just like, oh, everything's great. And, you know, and, and you just think, no, we can be real. We're, David, I'm sure, is not forgetting about his troubles. He's not just, you know, ignoring the fact that there's people after him. Likewise, I'm not at all uh, saying as Christians, you know, we should just uh, ignore when we go through trials. I mean, life is hard. There's real pain, there's real struggles that we go through and we're to share those burdens with each other so that together we can bring those burdens to the Lord and receive encouragement from the body. But yet, even in the midst of those troubles, we still, by God's grace, are to focus on the Lord. That's what David's doing here. And we're going to see that as he, as he does that, that is going to enable him to trust the Lord moving forward as he faces those ongoing trials. Now beginning in verse 3, right? So verses 1 and 2 set the tone. He said what he's doing. He's thanking God for who he is and what he's done. He's recounting those things. He's, he's praising the Lord. Now in verse 3, David gets even more specific. He starts specifically praising God for delivering him from his enemies in the past. And just... For my own study, I, I, to help break this passage down, I called verses 3 through 6, God rescues. God rescues in verses 3 through 6. David says, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. So David's rejoicing at how God has rescued him from his enemies in the past. As king of Israel, he certainly faced many enemies, powerful nations who tried to destroy him and conquer Israel. But David's remembering how God had faithfully protected him and his people. How, how God had thwarted David's enemies. How God had defeated them so soundly as to bring them to everlasting ruin. God had rescued David from the hands of his enemies. Those, those forces of evil were powerful. But they were no match for the sovereign Lord. And so David is praising the Lord because God rescues. Then in verses 7 through 8, we see that God reigns. God reigns. The reign of the evil nations that threatened David came to an end, right? We're going to see a contrast here, right? He said, he said in verse 6, hey, those, um, you brought them to an end, right? You blotted them out. Verse 7, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. So as David reflects on God's past rescues, he praises God for his sovereignty. He, it's like he's saying kingdoms of, of man come and go, but the kingdom of the Lord endures forever. God is sovereign and he wields his power to bring about justice. David rejoices that, that God rules the world with righteousness. 
David realizes that the reason the Lord is able to deliver is because the Lord reigns over all. And so he's saying, praise God that he is all-powerful. And praise God that he is good. Right? What a combination to have someone who's sovereign and also good. Someone who's sovereign and someone who's just and righteous. That's our God. Praise God for that combination. David recognizes that God's, God is sovereignly bringing about his wise purposes for the good of his people and the glory of his name. And we certainly uh, have that same promise, right? Romans eight twenty eight, that God is at work. He is on his throne. He is over every election. He's over every war. He is over every trial. And he's bringing about his purposes for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For his ultimate glory. So we've seen God uh, rescues, God reigns, and then in verses 9 and 10, God is a refuge. God is a refuge. Verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Wow, if you underline your Bible, those are some verses to underline, right? To star. What precious promises. What a place to go to. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Many can testify to that today. As you've gone through very difficult trials, you've seen God be your stronghold. And so David is praising the Lord for that. Because the Lord is sovereign, because he's good, and because he exercises his power for justice, David knows then that the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. God sees and God cares when the vulnerable are being mistreated. And so in that culture, in the ancient Near East, the role of the king was to defend the cause of the oppressed and the helpless. But many, sadly, many kings were wicked, right? They would, they would use their power to actually further oppress, right? To further exploit for their own selfish gain. But the Lord is both sovereign and good. You see that? So you can have a good king, human, a human king, right, you know, who, yeah, he wants to do good, but, you know, there's only so much he can do. He can't himself guarantee protection or guarantee provision, but God can. God is sovereign and good, and so he is a stronghold for the oppressed. He cares for his people, and he is able to rescue them. So those who run to the Lord for protection will find him to be their refuge and stronghold. He does not forsake those who seek him. And David knew this physically and David knew this spiritually. God had been David's stronghold from physical enemies, certainly. And God had provided a refuge from the judgment that, that David deserved, from God's judgment against David's sins. David knew he was a sinner and that if the Lord would call him to account for his sins, David could not stand. Who could stand? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. David, like the rest of us, was guilty before God because of his sins. And David, like the rest of us, deserved to be separated from God forever in everlasting punishment. 
But God, in his mercy and grace, had provided atonement for sin. God had promised to send a perfect substitute, a righteous king who would defeat sin and rescue his people from their enemies. Rescue them from sin, rescue them from death, rescue them from God's judgment that they deserved. How? How would that king do that? By laying down his own life as a sacrifice for sin. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the sinless one, bore the sins and punishment of his people. He paid their punishment. He satisfied God's justice and holy wrath so that Jesus could be a saving refuge for all who run to him in faith. Everyone who forsakes their sin and runs to Christ, embracing him as Savior and Lord, will be saved from the judgment that they deserve. That's the promise of of the gospel. It's the promise of God's word. That everyone who does that, their sins will be forgiven. They will be reconciled to God forever. So I hope when you read those verses, you're, you're thinking about God, yes, and you're specifically thinking about the gospel, and you're thinking about Christ. He is a saving refuge for all who run to him. Praise the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, he is our rock, and he is our redeemer. So we've seen God rescues, God reigns, God is a refuge for the sin-oppressed who run to him. And David is praising the Lord for these past deliverances. And then in verse 11, David calls on Israel to join him in praising the Lord, right? Remember, he was exhorting himself at the beginning. Now in verse 11, it gets corporate. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell the peoples his deeds, for he avenges blood. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. See what he's doing? He's continuing to praise God and he... He's praising God for his mercy and his grace and his power. And he's saying God is almighty and he is near. He sits enthroned in Zion. In other words, he's not far off from his people. Rather, he is near. He's he's, uh, among them. He's not distant and aloof. He's not unaware of the afflictions of his people. He hears their cries. He remembers his covenant with them. And he rescues them from the hands of their oppressor. David has recounted the deeds of the Lord, and now he calls on the nation to do the same. He wants everybody, right? He wants all the people of God to remember the deeds of the Lord for them and to tell others about the deeds of the Lord. Let's let's together stir up faith. Let's together sing praises. Let's together offer thanksgiving to our God. Let's together praise the Lord who reigns And who hears the cry of the afflicted. And so my big application from from this section. And and really from the sermon as a whole. Is I, I urge you. I exhort you. As I exhort myself. Develop this habit by God's grace. Get in the habit. Get in the routine. Of spending time daily with the Lord. To praise him for who he is. And what he has done. And again, if you just need something to hang your hat on, you know, a specific application, try this. Spend time every day and thank God for three blessings 
and praise God for three attributes. What do you think that would do to your soul if you spent time doing that? Do you think that would stir up some joy? Do you think that would cultivate some faith? Do you think there'd be some thanksgiving and some praise that would overflow from that? Think of how God could be glorified as we do that. So that was the first practice that we see in David's life. Praising the Lord for who he is and what he has done. And then the second one, and again, we'll go through this one quicker. Bring your needs to the Lord in prayer. The second practice that we need to, by God's grace, develop a habit of is bringing your needs to the Lord in prayer. That's what David does in the second part of this psalm. Right? He's, he's praised God for his past deliverances. And now David, in verse 13, starts praying for the Lord to deliver him from his present dangers. Look at verse 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Again, David is in real danger here. There are people who want to destroy him. He's on the verge of being killed, but he knows that God can deliver him from the gates of death. So he calls out to the Lord, asking God to rescue him once again. Right? He's been remembering all the times God has done that in the past. And so that certainly uh, motivates him to call out for it even now. Notice the God-centeredness of David's prayer. Lord, deliver me that I may continue to praise you and rejoice in your salvation. Lord, you've rescued me so many times. You've worked mighty deeds on my behalf. Add to that now, Lord. Add to that list of mighty deeds. Work more miracles that I can tell others about. Rescue me that I may testify to your power and your goodness. David is so confident that the Lord will deliver him from his present enemies. Look at, in verse 15 and following, he describes those enemies as already defeated. Even though these are present dangers that he's praying to be delivered from, he starts kind of talking about it as as it's already already a done deal. (laughs) Look at verse 15. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. And there's a musical term I won't try to say. Verse 17. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. David's, he he knows Because the Lord is sovereign, because he's a righteous judge, because he's faithful to his people, David knows that the Lord will act. He will rescue his people like he's done many times before. The Lord is holy and just, therefore he will judge the wicked. The nations forget God, but they're going to be reminded about him soon, David says. They'll be reminded of his power. They'll be reminded of his justice. They'll be reminded of his commitment to his people when he powerfully delivers the needy and brings the wicked to judgment. And we have that same assurance and hope at the Lord's return that the wicked will be judged. God has not forgotten his people. 
Verse 19, arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. You see, he's petitioning, he's praying. He's praying for deliverance, but he's praying for God to act for his name's sake. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. David prays fervently for God to defeat the wicked nations and deliver his people from their hands. He wants them to know who God is, that the God of Israel is the one true God. And certainly we long for people to know that Christ is Lord. And one day they will. But if they have not bowed the knee, it will be too late for their eternal soul. And so we, we, we pray and we tell others, Jesus is Lord. He's coming again. He's a righteous king. He's a good king. He's already defeated sin and death. And one day he's going to return and eradicate evil and death once and for all. But until that day, he's reigning now and he hears the cry of his people. And he, he loves us and he's committed himself to us. Matter of fact, he indwells us by his spirit. That's how close he is. He's enthroned in heaven, but he's not just enthroned in Zion anymore. He's, he's in us. How near is that? And so, again, this reminds us of what a privilege we have to pray to Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to the throne room of God so we can come into his presence with our prayers and confidence that God hears us, that he loves us, that he welcomes us because our sin's been paid for. And again, prayer is, is first and foremost worship. So you see how all, all this ties together? We're, we're, we're thinking about the Lord. We're, we're thinking about his attributes. We're recounting what he's done. It, it's, it's stirring in us by the Spirit. Thanksgiving and praise. We're, let me back up. Maybe that process even starts with, probably it does, getting in God's word, right? I mean, we can sit and think about what we know and already. But as we read God's word, it reminds us of what God has done. It reminds us of who he is. That stirs up thanksgiving and praise. That overflows then in, in, in praise. Whether it be singing to the Lord, right? There's another healthy habit to get into if you're not doing it already. Sing to the Lord. Get good songs on your playlists and sing to the Lord in the car, in the shower, at home, whatever. Sing to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Express your thanksgiving and, and, and praise through prayer. That's how the Lord's Prayer begins, right? It's very God-centered in its beginning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the second half of that prayer reminds us to bring our needs, to cry out to God with our petitions. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So we, like David, are in a battle, aren't we? Ephesians 6 says. We battle the world and the flesh and the devil. And so we need to pray for protection. We need to pray for deliverance from the temptations that are before us. And that our own remaining sin puts before us. 
pray for grace to endure trials. We need God's help. God sovereignly works through the prayers of his people. Prayer is a vital tool that God has given us. It's an essential component of our relationship with him that will grow us closer to God and will give us joy and peace and faith even in the midst of trials and affliction. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Right? So again, thinking back, joy and and faith in the new year. How can we have that to the glory of God? Well, it's by praising God for who he is and what he has done. And it's by praying to the Lord in praise, in thanksgiving, and bringing our needs to him. And the one feeds the other. Right? How, how was David able to have such confidence? Because he had spent time thanking God for his blessings thinking about who God is. I mean, that was always on his mind. I I can't say that definitively, but you get what I'm saying, right? That was regularly on his mind, let's say that. God is good, he's faithful, he's powerful. The more we think about God and who he is and what he's done, that will produce faith and joy and peace in us to the glory of God. So again, we are responsible for how we think. Philippians 4, 8, and 9 says that. May God give us grace to daily praise the Lord for who he is and what he has done and to daily commune with him in prayer, bringing our needs to him. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you for who you are, Lord. We praise you for all that you've done for us. Again, we we don't have time to even scratch the surface of that. Lord, thank you for the grace that you've shown us in Christ. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper now, uh, thank you for these reminders. You know, as David recounts your deeds, what better way for us to recount your mighty deeds than to think about what Christ has done. The love and the, the grace that you've shown us through Christ, how he has defeated sin and death, how he has borne our sin and wrath, the, the wrath that we deserve, I should say. So thank you for these physical reminders of his finished work today. May you uh, encourage your people. May you strengthen them. Father, please, may your spirit, may you help us walk in the spirit this year, and, and may your spirit increasingly produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.